everyone. This is Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Everything is Football. Don't go away. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another EIF podcast. My name is Tomas Horsell, and today I have a very special guest, one of our favorite guests that we've had on, Alex Goldberg. Uh, you may know him from Twitter, from either his videos or his podcast. He's probably one of the biggest Chelsea personalities out there, and it's a pleasure to have you on, Alex. Thank you for joining. I appreciate it, Thomas. Great to be back and excited to talk some football. Absolutely. And it's not every day I can vent about Chelsea with a with a fellow fan because, as people know, Mark Geshman and Joaquin Del Mar, who run EIF with me, are not the biggest Chelsea fans. So it's going to be good to let some steam off here, blow some steam uh, with, with Alex. And what better place to start than the January window? As a Chelsea fan, you know, and I'm sure you feel the same way, Alex, we were all excited that the transfer ban is finally lifted. January came along. We're in top four. Who are we going to get? And well, as of right now, doesn't look great. So from your perspective, how do you feel so far about what you've been reading in the media, all the reports about, you know, Cavani and other players joining us? And do you think anybody's actually going to join or are we just going to wait until the summer until we make any actual signings? Yeah, it's kind of the million-dollar question, or arguably more than a million dollars. Uh, to answer the last part first, I don't know. But if I were a betting man, I would say no signings. Just because mathematically we're running out of days here, it seems like Piontek is certainly not coming to Chelsea. In fact, I have been told that Chelsea were offered him and immediately turned him down. Milan want a permanent sale, not a loan, a.k.a. they're clearly not too happy with their acquisition. So Chelsea are not interested in him. I have also been told that Luka Jovic was offered to Chelsea on a loan. I don't know. I don't know how much I believe that one. But either way, Chelsea apparently turned him down because I don't think that's necessarily the fit they want with Tammy, even though I'm sure they like Luka Jovic and admire him. But also questions can be brought up if he's actually a good loan striker yet, because, of course, he was really good last year in the Bundesliga in a two-striker formation. The one I have a feeling they truly do want, Thomas, is Cavani. That, in kind of reading between the lines and having a little bit of background knowledge, that does seem like the player that Lampard would like. How feasible is it? I don't know. I mean, we're recording this as really conflicting reports come out on where Cavani is headed. Some say he's already done to Atletico. Some say that Atletico are now looking for other options. So I do think that Lampard and perhaps Chelsea would like Cavani, but clearly it seems like overall Chelsea are proceeding with caution. And I get everyone's frustration that they saw Chelsea get the ban reduced. So immediately they thought, okay, that means there's help coming. There are signings coming, but I have, and I just put out a Twitter video about this. I have such a problem with people saying, why did we have the ban reduced if we weren't going to sign anyone? Why wouldn't we have the ban reduced? If you think you can get the ban reduced, why the hell would you not get the ban reduced? You at least have options, at least gives you the option to go out and sign someone. But it doesn't mean that, all right, now we got the ban reduced and we're not going to proceed with caution. We're going to sign anyone. No. And also, by the way, publicly, just on another level, it looks good. It looks like, all right, you weren't as guilty as maybe people thought. It publicly looks good that, okay, yes, you got the ban reduced. So I get the frustration. 
on the other level of also top four now looks really achievable. Maybe people didn't think it was achievable heading into the season. And now people are kind of changing their tune when, by the way, Thomas, the tune was, all right, we assume we're not going to be able to make moves in January as well. So we'll see out this season. We'll hope for the best, but no matter what, we'll know what we need to address in the summer. But now that top four is clearly achievable, people are kind of changing their tune and saying, now we need signings. Now we need help. And (laughs) obviously Lampard kind of fueled that a bit by being frustrated after the FA Cup game on Saturday. It definitely sounded like he wanted some help. But I have two theories behind that. I definitely believe that he would like a signing if it makes sense. That's the important part, if it makes sense, because he has been consistent saying it needs to be an improvement on what we already have. And I also think that, yes, he meant that he wanted a signing, but the frustration you heard in his voice was not necessarily nastiness towards the board, like maybe with past managers. I think it was a culmination of things. He was frustrated that once again, his team barely got by and in some situations they can't get by because they can't kill off games and he knows the team should actually be doing much better than they are and I think he's also frustrated Thomas with a lack of solutions in the January market so listen whoever's bought and if it's a striker they have to be a clear upgrade on Michi Bechuai because Chelsea have run into problem after problem after problem of making panic buys and really they're paying way too much for a mediocre player and then they can't get rid of the player so that's the last thing Chelsea want to do this window and they have a tough decision do we panic a little bit and buy someone in hopes they help us with top four or do we kind of not go that route and hope that we have enough here already to achieve top four Uh, I think it's a risk both ways Thomas and I get if they totally hold off I get it but I am on record saying I'd like a little help but I get both sides of it and I feel like some people don't Absolutely. And it's tough. Like you said, before the season, the expectations were low and now we're in top four. Everyone else seems weak around us, bar actually Wolves probably, you could say, look the best out of the teams kind of pushing us for top four right now. And naturally expectations rise. And it's like you said, do you go for panic buy? Sometimes you could do so. Maybe if you're in this position, maybe United are in right now, but when you're where Chelsea are right now, it doesn't make too much sense, at least in my opinion. I think Cavani would have been a good fit um, because I think he would have been happy to rotate, you know, not necessarily start every game, but still get plenty of playing time and then when needed, be able to provide a lot more than than Michi does. I actually, as you probably know, I'm a huge fan of Gabigol from Flamengo, mm-hmm. technically mm-hmm. Inter. He's going back to Flamengo now, it seems, for about 18 million euros. I would have personally loved him at Chelsea because I think he would have made a good impact off the bench when needed I think he would have been a guy who if Tammy's injured could step up and I know a lot of people will say well he didn't do very well with Benfica he didn't really do very well with Inter and if you remember a when he went to Benfica I think he was like 20 or had just turned 20 played all of like seven to ten games there and then at Inter joined them when they had the as, as head coach and we know that was not the ideal head coach based on his time with Palace and then Inter. So it just didn't really work out. And then what he did in Brazil right now, I think this past year scoring over 50 goals, including two goals in the Libertadores. I I think for us, if we had gone for him for about 18, 25 million, would have been a decent option. But I agree with you. Other than that, there's, there's a bit of a sense that we need to sign someone when realistically, I don't think we have to unless someone is there. And Michi's not the best, but... At the end of the day, 
there are worse backup options than, than Michi Bachuai, even though he's far from ideal for the side. And, you know, lastly on this, when I see a lot of people talking about Timo Werner coming in, for me, at least I don't know about you, Alex, I'll pass it over to you in a second, but when when we keep being linked with, with Werner, he's a guy who for sure won't be happy with a backup role, nor, nor should he be because he's way too good. But Lampard's most likely not going to change to two up front, at least this season, mid-season, and maybe even next year, depending on who we get. And with Tammy, it's, you know, he's not in his best form right now, but it's it's a bit tricky for me when you say, oh, we need a team of Werner. And I see that so many places on Twitter when it comes to the Chelsea fan base. When you have Tammy Abraham, who he himself wouldn't be happy being a backup. So I don't, I don't know how you see the whole Werner, you know, link and how that could potentially work if we were to bring him do you think Lampert could potentially be flexible and switch to two up front? Or do you think it'd be a case of, hey, Tammy, you're going to have to be happy with a backup role and we'll see where that goes from there? Yeah, on Timo Werner, I definitely think that there's interest from Chelsea and Timo Werner. But I also wonder if they view Timo Werner as perhaps a winger because Timo Werner has positional versatility and sure he is a striker but once again kind of like Luka Jovic I'm not saying they're the same player Timo Werner is a burner with his pace but he's in a two striker formation and he does have the ability to kick it out wide so I do think there's interest in Timo Werner but I don't think that if Chelsea were to really make a play for him that's a hint that Lampard would consider two striker formation and I totally agree I and before I get on to the next point on Tammy I just think that to Lampard, it'd probably be a bonus where, okay, I think Werner can play the wing, and I know Werner can also play as a striker. We'll see if he can play as a lone striker, but I'll take the gamble because he's quality. And maybe at the end of the game, I have an option to also put him with Tammy. But I don't think it would be a huge sign that he'd be changing his philosophy to really start two strikers. And it's tricky, as you just said, because Tammy Abraham is a young, promising striker who's already shown you great, great signs that he can be a legitimate Premier League player and maybe more than a legitimate Premier League player. So for all the people that call out for ambition and they want Chelsea to go after your Timo Werners, no matter who else you have a striker like a Tammy, I would just caution you that, yes, a lot of good teams have a couple good options at striker, but it normally doesn't work the way of you have a really good young striker like Tammy, and then you bring in another really good young striker like Timo Werner. A lot of the time, it's what Manchester City have, where you have an established striker like Sergio Aguero, who is your number one, and he is the older striker. And then you bring in a Gabriel Jesus, who can certainly impact now, but also could eventually carry the torch from Sergio Aguero. And if you have ambition to be in a lot of competitions, you know that Gabriel Jesus can start a bunch of games and definitely be formidable. And in Real Madrid's scenario, they have Karim Benzema, and they certainly want to make sure that they have somebody to take over for when Benzema finally is no longer good. And by the way, that's not happening anytime soon, fans. I am anytime soon, folks, excuse me. I was about to say I'm a huge Benzema fan. But <laughs> once again, it's done much more where you have the established senior striker, and then you bring in someone younger who hopefully can be a good backup right away but can also eventually carry the torch. It's not often done where you have the younger one who's your starter, and then you bring in another younger one. Maybe you would bring in an older one, like a Cavani in this situation. So I am interested in Timo Werner. I think Chelsea are interested in Timo Werner. But here's what I think is not being brought up enough. 
I think it's Timo Werner or Jaden Sancho. I don't think it's Timo Werner and Jaden Sancho. And both would be massive gets. And both are, I mean, they're realistic in a sense where Chelsea still have a decent shot compared to other teams, but they're not slam dunks either one of them. But because I just said that I think Lampard would consider Timo Werner also as a winger, then Jaden Sancho would certainly not be very feasible if Timo Werner was acquired. So I think people need to remember that, yes, Chelsea are apparently going to be ambitious this summer, and they apparently are going to spend, spend, spend. But I don't think it's Timo Werner and Jaden Sancho. I think it's Timo Werner or Jaden Sancho. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think, you know, you really can't go wrong with either one of those options. And I know a lot of people love to use the one of the terms I hate the most, which is Farmers League when they talk about the Bundesliga, especially with, you know, what we've seen Holland do there in two games off the bench. Of course, people love to hate on other leagues and younger players who are thriving like Holland is right now. And so a lot of people who don't watch the Bundesliga might think, well, these guys are doing in Germany, but can they do it in the Premier League? And, you know, if you watch either Werner or Sancho, the answer is absolutely yes. And it really doesn't matter where the hell they're playing. They would be absolutely tremendous in the Premier League, especially for Chelsea. Like you said, I think could be a good fit regardless of which one comes along. Um, But assuming, you know, a nice segue here, assuming we don't get anyone in the transfer window, which seems a bit likely at this point, since we're only three or so days away, we need to look at the current 11 we have. And of course, injuries haven't seen everyone be fully fit at the same time when it comes to the best players. Loftus-Cheek is still battling against injury coming back, but you never know if, with the way he's been recovering, it's been a bit, a bit sad as, as a Chelsea fan, thinking that he was going to come back earlier and seeing that he's still not not fully fit. But that's just unfortunate. So when we look at our current players and our best eleven, I'll kick it over to you in a second, Alex. But at least for me, and you can feel free uh, feel free to disagree. If I were to look at our ideal eleven right now for let's say against Bayern Munich or a big game in general, for me it would be. And I mean, it hurts me to say to start of Keppa, but we'll get we'll get to him in a few minutes. Um, I'd have Keppa and goal, obviously. You have Reese James on the right. I'd have Tomori alongside. Most likely, I'd still put Rudiger. I know he's not in top form right now, and I know Zuma has been good overall this season, but he's still a bit error prone once in a while. I'd probably trust Rudiger a bit more of a big game. I would have Vaspiliquet on the left. Um, I would then have Kovacic, who, in my opinion, has been arguably the best midfielder in the world this season. Uh, definitely for me, best midfielder in the Prem alongside Henderson and De Bruin. And alongside him, I'd probably have Conte if it's a big game. If it's against a smaller team, I'd be happy to have Jorginho in there with him because I think that's pretty apparent that Chelsea needs someone like him to to break a, a low block because with Conte, it just hasn't been working, especially this season. Um, and then in front of them, I would actually... Love to cheek when fully fit. I love Mason Mount. I think he gets way too much hate from from people who just seem to want to see him fail. But I think Loftus cheek for me is still the better player and the more promising player. So I'd have Loftus cheek in there with Pulisic on the left and Odoi on the right, and then Tammy up top. So that would be my ideal eleven. I don't know what yours would be, assuming everyone's fully fit. Do you agree, or maybe is there someone I'm missing here? I mean, I think you said it well. Definitely. I mean, just overall, before I even kind of give my ideal 11, I also think that the players Chelsea have injured are a huge reason why they're being extra cautious right now on the market. Because if you can guarantee, and you can't guarantee me, but if you can guarantee me 
Pulisic will be back very soon and fit again. Tammy is fine, and Reese James is fine, and Loftus-Cheek will not be that much longer. Those are four major additions that are better than you can get on the January transfer market. I mean, they just are. And they already know the club, and there's a cohesiveness, et cetera, et cetera. So those are all huge, huge players if they can stay fit. So that's just something I wanted to add. But, yeah, I mean, my ideal starting 11, I'm just going to plead the fifth on the goalkeeper. I don't know. Just anybody who can save a damn shot. I guess you kind of <laughs> have to keep rolling with Keppa, but I'm just so down on the guy, unfortunately, that I'm just going to not even list a goalkeeper. Maybe better check. And right back, totally. There's no doubt about it. I can argue he's the most important player at Chelsea, Reese James. And then the center back position at this point, you know, as hard as I've been on Andreas Christensen, because I still do have serious doubts if he can be a really good Premier League defender or if he's even made for the Premier League. I like that Lampard kind of gave him a public shot maybe a month ago after a really poor result where Christensen was afraid to touch anybody. And then Lampard has played him now, and Christensen's been better. I'm still not fully convinced, obviously. It's a small sample size, but he does have some of your highest potential out of the center backs. Not your highest, in my opinion, but second highest. So I'd roll Christensen out there with Tamori. I think Tamori is the center back I'm most excited about. And I do think he has the highest potential. So even though that center back combo is a little thin, they're not too big and bulky, I still think that's the center back combo I'd roll out. And I think that's a little unfair on Zuma because I think Zuma has been better this season than people probably give him credit for, but it is what it is. And Rudiger, for me, I personally just don't trust. I don't hate the guy. I don't think he's a scrub. But he has not looked great since coming back from injury. He really has. And I also have to question if Rudiger will ever be the same defender because he has had an awful list of injuries for now a handful of seasons. Left back, I mean, I don't know. Once again, it's kind of like keeper. (laughs) I I think you just know you're not going to get the perfect left back right now for Chelsea. And it's a huge area to improve in the summer. So, if Azpilicueta can put in a shift, I know he definitely has his limitations at left back, but I'm okay with it. And if Emerson can play at all like he played before that international break where he got injured with Italy, fine, Emerson. And if you're ever going to do a three-center-back formation with wingbacks, I don't know, maybe even Alonso. And I'm not a big Alonso guy at all, but that's how indifferent I am on the left-back position. The midfield, it's just so interesting. I mean, I like all of Conte, Kovacic, and Jorginho. I totally agree with you. Kovacic has been definitely the best, and there's definitely definite shouts that you could say he's been a top Premier League midfielder and even a top midfielder in the world. And I think right now he's actually more important, as crazy as it sounds, than N'Golo Conte and Jorginho. But those guys are not scrubs. So if you could tell me Loftus-Cheek was fit, ooh, I actually think Loftus-Cheek for me bumps Conte out in a weird way because I just – I think Conte, for as good as he is, he could be used in a different manner to what Sarri used him in and what Lampard has used him in. And I think Lampard knows that, and it's no hit on Conte. But I've already entertained now for weeks the idea of selling and goal Conte this summer while you can still get great value for him. So Loftus-Cheek would be one of my midfielders. Mateo Kovacic would be another one of my midfielders. And here's where I'm in a tough spot. I like Mason Mount a lot. And he's definitely part of my future Chelsea, no doubt about it. But if you wanted to say for this season, put Jorginho in there and kind of loft his cheek is 
maybe still playing the eight role, but he's you're more attacking out of the three, and Kovacic can kind of do a little bit of everything, and Jorginho can dictate from deep. I'm fine with a loftus cheek, Jorginho, Kovacic midfield. But if you want to take Jorginho out of it and have Kovacic be that guy a little bit deeper, that's how damn good Kovacic is right now. He can kind of do everything in the midfield. So if you wanted to try to have Kovacic and maybe loft his cheek, be more box to box and Mason Mount a little bit more attacking, I'm not going to fight you on that one either. So I couldn't answer that as perfectly as maybe you would have wanted me to, but I just think you have options there and that's not a bad thing because loft his cheek is just a huge, huge piece for this team, but also when you can't really count on because of his injuries. So Moving to the wings, I think the wings are obvious for me. I keep Callum Hudson-Odoi on the right wing because this chemistry that he's potentially building with Reese James, and by the way, that they've had for a long, long time at academy level, just gets me very, very excited. So I keep him at right wing, and I have Tammy at striker, and I have a fit Pulisic at left wing, and that's actually not me bashing William. I think he certainly has been better this season than he has been most seasons, but still, give me Pulisic, Tammy, and Callum leading the front line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, regarding Conte, it's a fascinating debate because I see a lot of people saying he's he's passed it and he's washed up. And I think whoever says that just wants to find a reason to to dislike Conte, which in itself is extremely odd, considering he's probably one of the most likable players I've ever seen in football, let alone right now, but ever. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can get good money for him in the summer, say to a PSG, I think it would make sense to sell. And as a Chelsea fan, you know, I would hate to see him go, but he's he's done enough for us uh, over the years where we can look back and, you know, smile and look back on it. But we need to move forward. And when you can still get maybe, I don't know how much you'd go for right now, you'd say at least 50 million, probably more. I think you should sell. And it's it's good, like you said, to have problems in midfield because that shows that you have a lot of depth. And Chelsea certainly have that. I'm not even going to include Barkley here. I mean, I think you know how I feel about Barkley, so I'm not even going to get started on him. But even at the end of the day, we see that Barkley can come on and still perform once in a while. It just depends which Barkley shows up. If it's preseason Barkley or regular Barkley, you just got to hope it's preseason Barkley. So an area that I think that I want to move to right now, and you mentioned it and I mentioned it as well, is the goalkeeper position. And you know, when it co- I'm almost speechless when it comes to Kepa because when we signed him, I think most people agreed that we overpaid, but hey, it was a bit of a necessary evil, you could say, to to overpay for him because A, we needed a ball-playing goalkeeper, B, Courtois was gone, and it was just sort of a new era of sorry where we want to play out of the back, and, and he fit in well with that. The issue I have with Kappa is he's known for playing with playing out the back of his feet, and people say how good he is and come to Ederson, but last season is good as he was a lot of times of his feet this season has been a lot shakier and almost any game you watch Chelsea he will give it away one or two times and I don't mean kicking it out of bounds you know for a throw in I mean literally kicking it out to a an opposition winger striker whoever it happens way too often and when you compare that to Ederson it's night and day it looks like you're comparing Xavi to god no to Ross Barkley you could say so it's a bit disappointing on that and then the actual thing that I'm sure frustrates you, like you said, is the shot stopping. And if you look at when he was at Bilbao and you look at stats, not only the eye test, but actual stats beneath that, he was a fantastic shot stopper. He's always been short. And I understand of keepers that sometimes is an issue. And I've always vouched that I think a shorter keeper just naturally 
has a disadvantage. That's not to say they're a bad keeper, but hey, give me a six four keeper over a six foot two, for example. But since he joined Chelsea, it, it really hasn't been great. Last season, he had a period where you know it started it started okay, it got better. And then way too often, you'd see things that you'd say, well, he could have saved that. Maybe he could have done a little better. But it was still okay. I think we can both agree he had an okay to good first season last year. Putting aside the, the City incident, of course, in the, in the Carabao Cup final. But when you look at it this season, and this is where I, where I have an issue. He has been poor off his feet. The shot stopping has been horrific. And... A lot of people say, oh, you're just you're just hating and watching play. Well, I always say this. There's the eye test and there's the stats. You cannot rely on solely one of those. You always need to use both of those. With Kepa, he certainly does not pass the eye test. And then you say, well, maybe, you know, the stats could back him up. Well, they, they cannot. I mean, he his save percentage, I remember I texted you after, uh, after our last loss, and I, I said, you know, he's a uh, 130 for, I think it was like 127 for something out of 132 keepers in Europe and safe percentage among the top seven leagues. And then, of course, he screwed up that game. So he could realistically be 132nd right now. I haven't seen an updated stat. And then beyond that, you have expected goals that we've conceded uh, that he should have saved. And he's dead last in the Premier League with that. So, you know, passing over to you, just in general, how do you feel about Kepa? And I've seen some of your videos, so, you know, I know you're quite passionate about this. But moving forward as well, with him being such a big investment, can we really afford to go and spend another, say, $30 on another keeper this summer? Or is it kind of one of those where we just, we have to hope Kepa just turns it around and comes good like we we thought he would when he first joined? Well, it's certainly a worry that we even have to have the conversation. And I think it's important to remember that Kepa once upon a time was available for a lot less and that should give people an idea of maybe the keeper that Chelsea did buy versus the keeper they thought they bought. So, yeah, I mean, right now I'm insanely worried about Kepa because no matter how you look at the stats or the eye test, it's just not good. There are stats that are insanely damning, calling him no doubt the worst keeper in the Premier League right now. And, quite possibly the worst in Europe. And then, sure, you can talk about, well, he faces a really tough XG. So he's facing, yes, Chelsea do protect him second best in the Premier League from shots on goal, but those chances are really good chances. Okay, fine. But then when you look at the stats of the other two keepers who face a similar XG type of shot, they save way more. So no matter how you look at it, it's just damning for Kepa. And then the eye test, which is important. I think you should always balance things out with stats and the eye test because stats never tell the full story, nor does the eye test. He's not commanding. He definitely has weak wrists. I mean, we're seeing that. And I have spoken to goalkeepers, and Asmir Begovic has pointed out that they're making balls different now, so they're easier to hit hard, and it's designed for more goals. And that makes perfect sense. I don't know if anybody follows the NFL, but – Every time they change a rule, it's to make more points go on the board, not less. So it makes sense that, yes, it is now easier for players to hit the ball harder. But still, some of these balls that are touching Kepa's hands are hit so softly, so softly. So there's just very worrying things when you look at the eye test as well. So now to the discussion of can Chelsea really afford to look at another keeper? I think they have to. 
I just think they have to. And yeah, clearly not in January. I think you just have to kind of ride it out with Keppa. But if he continues on this downward trend, and some will argue this has just always been Keppa, but yeah, I agree he was better last season, no doubt. You're going to have to look at a keeper this summer. Now, do you want to kind of get somebody, hopefully for definitely less money, but along the same lines as Keppa, where he's maybe in his mid-20s, maybe his late 20s, and he's just solid, and you feel like, all right, we'll just kind of play the hot hand. We'll just kind of go with the keeper in form. Do you want to make a big investment? I would hope not. My only conviction on making a big investment for another goalkeeper is Lampard would have to have conviction. Chelsea and the board would have to have conviction that that is the keeper they want. So if they're a little lukewarm on it, they're like, eh, I'm not really sure. Then no, you can't spend a lot on a goalkeeper and just get somebody cheaper who's solid, who could unfortunately already be better than Keppa. So unless there's conviction, Thomas, from Frank Lampard and Chelsea on the next goalkeeper, I think you kind of have to do more of a 1A, 1B situation until either Keppa all of a sudden becomes the keeper you want him to be or that clear next guy becomes available. Yeah, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, looking to the summer, when, when we talk about goalkeepers, at least for me, there are two guys that I'd like to see us go after. One's uh, Dean Henderson, who, as most people know, has been with Sheffield United, but is a Man United player. That's going to be an interesting one because we don't know if United are going to ship out to Hay this summer. He's another guy who's in a bit of a downward spiral for two seasons now. But assuming he stays there, that could be an interesting possibility. Young, English, as you know, people love to say, we Premier League teams love to buy English players. He fits that mold. I think he'd be a good fit. Another guy as well is the, the Lazio goalkeeper, Thomas Strakosha, who I think he's 24, maybe 25. I'm not entirely sure, but he's still quite young, very good with his feet, very good shot stopper, and I think he wouldn't be that costly. So like you said, I think that would be kind of a keeper who you could put in that 1A, 1B situation, who would be a decent fit, wouldn't necessarily push Kepa out in case Kepa starts improving, but at the same time would be more than good enough to, to step up, not saying Willie's not if we really need him to, but, you know, there's a clear difference in level. But I think we've, we've talked enough about the squad now, and then if we look forward to the actual games we have coming up, it's quite the hectic February, and not only because of fixtures, the number of fixtures, but rather the teams we're going to be playing. And in case people don't know, Chelsea have Leicester away this weekend. We have United after the international break. then. There or the one, whatever sort of break this is. Um, then we have Spurs at home. Then we have Bayern at home. And then we have Bournemouth away. I guess by far the easiest game here uh, this season, although we know what happened last time we played them. So how do you see February? And how many of these games do you think we could realistically come out of a win or a positive result from? Oh, man. <laughs> I really wish I knew. And a lot of it will really come down to who's fit. And I hate to put so much pressure on a youngster, but I think Reese James is really the key to Chelsea going in the right direction because it's pretty simple and it's pretty clear. Reese James is a huge tool and weapon for what Lampard wants to do. And obviously, a lot of that is his crossing ability, but Reese James clearly is also making Callum Hudson Adoy play better. So he unlocks then another one of your most talented players. And yes, it's not like Reese and Tammy have connected already on a heap of goals, but stylistically, 
they are a good fit. Tammy can be better in the air, no doubt about it. Tammy will need to improve on the headers. He can get to them. He definitely can get to them because he's tall. And I just think he'll need to improve with practice. And I think he will improve there. But also, Tammy's very good at putting it in, just kind of poaching it in around goal. And Reese can deliver balls on the ground, too. So I think Reese is a huge, huge factor against Leicester. Hopefully, he's fit for them. And then for all of these big games coming up, he's big. And he, he will put my confidence in a much better light. But somebody that I really think Chelsea need fit is Christian Pulisic. Because despite me always being not as high on Pulisic as maybe others, he definitely has impressed me so far this season for Chelsea. And he's already been, and we got to remember, he for a while. So yeah, his goals have dried up and he has five Premier League goals. But he's already been more clinical than I thought he would be in his first season for Chelsea. And... He's also had some good games where he hasn't scored and assisted. And I think that's just as important. I've been impressed the way he's kind of adapted to the Premier League. And I think Lampard has really managed him quite well. That break in the beginning of the season, even though fans got really pissy and money, I thought was really good man managing from Lampard. And I just think they've been missing Pulisic. So sure, you can say that, no, they're just missing players no matter what who can put in these chances because they have no problem creating chances, but they can't be clinical. And actually a stat just came out yesterday if we're going by XG, Chelsea are doing even better than they are on the real table. So they're getting the chances. They're just not putting them home. So even though Pulisic doesn't have this long, long history of being a great goal scorer, I certainly think he would have helped you finish some of these games off just by the fact that he has quality. He has been somewhat clinical this season and the chances are there for the taken. So I, I think he and Reese James are going to be huge in these big games. I'm not going to put this big pressure on Ruben Loftus-Cheek. He'll change what I say dramatically in a positive way, but I just think it's vastly unfair to A, expect him back anytime soon, even though he is training now a little bit with the first team, but also B, expect that it's going to be Ruben Loftus-Cheek when he comes back. So I'm not even going to include him. But in terms of how I think Chelsea can do over the schedule, I mean, I'm terrified of Bayern. I am terrified of Bayern. When the draw came out, Bayern were not in a great spot, and really all the options were not great for Chelsea on who they would face. So I didn't hate drawing Bayern. And also, I mean, hey, Chelsea have beat Bayern before in the Champions League, but that's more of a joking point. So I don't know how that's going to go, and I definitely am fearful. They'll need to really kind of have that surprising unity that they've had on some big away wins this season, like against Arsenal and Spurs. But, you know, they have some games coming up at home versus the big teams, and this one against Leicester is not at home. So it's not one I'm really confident for. Unless Leicester do have injuries. I know Vardy's been injured, but I have a suspicion he will play against Chelsea. So I'm not really confident for Leicester. I'm hoping for a draw. I am hoping for a draw. But against United and Spurs at home, I'm hoping for wins. And I'm expecting wins. I really am. And I just think Chelsea have been playing better than people maybe realize. And I did a Twitter video on this because they've been in every game. Yeah, scoreline, they lost 4-0 to United. And yeah, they lost by two to Southampton and Everton. But if you look at the context of these games, they've been in all of these games. And actually, even more so against the bigger teams. They've been in the games against Liverpool this season, Super Cup included. They've been in the game against Manchester City. And Lampard's even talked about it. They clearly show up for these big teams. So I'm hoping that trend continues. And I'm hoping that they have more players available that are fit, like Reese James. So not too confident for Leicester. Not too confident for Bayern, but fairly confident for Spurs and United. I don't know how confident I'm feeling about Leicester, particularly away, but 
like you said, the game's at home. They're against big teams, but they are at home. They're winnable. And although playing at home has almost been worse for us this season or really has been worse statistically, it's got to turn around at a certain point. And I feel like if there's ever time to do it, it's right now. And I think we can get some results. It's really, like you said, the Bayern Munich game is just frightening when you when you look at the way we defend sometimes and then you look at that Bayern team with Lewandowski and Gnabry and so on. It's it's going to be tricky, but we've put away we've put in some good shifts away from home. We've put in some big shifts, some good shifts, like we saw in the Super Cup against Liverpool. I thought we deserved to win that game. So you never know, especially with Chelsea on an European night. We can always pull off a surprise. But moving the focus away from the future, let's talk about regarding Lampard. If you had to give a letter grade to Lampard right now, how he's been doing so far, what would it be? Because I know a lot of people are positive about Lampard. I certainly am. But at the same time, it surprises me how many people are negative. And, you know, he should be criticized for certain things that he does wrong, you know, just because he's a Chelsea legend or it's his first year under certain circumstances doesn't mean he's immune from criticism but at the same time some of these comments i'm seeing on twitter specifically it's you would think we're ninth in the table with hazard still in the team playing in you know his best form so it's it's a bit surprising to me how many people are so negative on lampard despite how we've been so i want to hear from your perspective how pleased are you so far with the job lampard has done um, to have us in fourth place and in the Champions League in the last 16 and I guess technically still in the FA Cup as well. Yeah, I think overall Lampard's done well. I really do. I mean, he hasn't been perfect. And I think there's been a situation presented to him where it'd be hard for anybody to be perfect because obviously he took over under some very difficult circumstances. Having the ban and not being able to replace one of the best players in the world, that's very difficult. But also... He's had such a even squad. And what I mean by that is maybe there are some players that I would call trash, not publicly, but they're not trash. I mean, he's had a squad <laughs> where he has no superstar. Maybe you can say Conte's a star, but not in the way we think of stars like that, especially in an attacking sense. So he's had no clear cut superstar, but also like the center back situation, he's had no scrub. He's had no really horrible player. So is that a tough squad to manage, figure out what goes with what? And also injuries. I know injuries can be an excuse for a lot of teams, but he has had injuries pop up at the absolute wrong times. So Pulisic's going well. Now all of a sudden he's injured. Reese James is going well. He's becoming a huge part of the team. Then he's injured. And it's just been a little bit of a cluster for him to manage. And sometimes I think he's overmanaged. And then sometimes I think he's undermanaged. But it's also just because... He hasn't had much continuity to work with, and he really is still figuring out, all right, who do I want? Who do I trust? What works with what? Who works with who? So he's had a very difficult job, and I'll say once again, no, he's not been perfect. He has things to learn from, but I think you have to look at Chelsea being in fourth place, and I know the rebuttal is, well, they're mainly in fourth because all the teams behind them are doing even worse, and United and Arsenal and Spurs have been a much bigger mess than anyone predicted. The facts are the facts. They're in fourth. And I think what we've learned about the Premier League is probably what we already knew. It's an insanely difficult league. It really is. There are no games off. There are no games off. So fourth place is fourth place. And he's in fourth place under harder circumstances, at least to start the season, than those other teams I just mentioned. So 
I think when you look at the stats deeper, it only helps Lampard's case. I mentioned the XG thing. They're creating the chances. They're just not putting them home. And for anybody who wants to go on and on about, well, sorry, didn't get this. And Lampard's getting this. And I hate people even mentioning sorry. One of the main things I heard from sorry defenders, people who really love sorry, was they would say, well, what do you want sorry to do? Actually put the ball in the net? The chances are being created. We're just not finishing. All right, well, that's the exact same thing with Lampard. That is the exact same thing with Lampard. The chances are there. We're just simply not finishing. So I just think he is very much like a lot of the young players, just in a manager sense. He has shown you great promise. I think he's had some great games as a manager. And then I think he's had some games where he's been off. And I just think you can really parallel him to all of these Chelsea youngsters. Hudson-Odoi, Tammy, Mount, Reese James, Tamori. They're showing great promise. They're showing something where you really want to see it out and you want to give them the platform to build and build and build and grow and grow and grow. But you need to understand there are going to be hiccups along the way. And this was just a different appointment than any of the past Chelsea managers, even sorry, even though everyone thought sorry was a different appointment and he was going to be a long-term one. Come on. What do you think is more of a long-term appointment? Lampard or sorry? It's Lampard. So whether that's right or wrong, I just think the best way to say it is he's done well so far. He hasn't been perfect. But really, parallel him to any of the Chelsea players, and young players, that is. And I think you kind of have your answer. And your answer is, let's keep building. Let's keep growing. Absolutely. And like you said, at the end of the day, he can't put the ball into the back of the net himself. And I'm sure for him, actually, specific- he probably could. Tommy, yeah, he actually. probably could. <laughs> and actually, I honestly think, I don't know what type of shape he's in. And I know that he obviously, like many managers do, he puts on his boots and he goes out there and kicks the ball around. I genuinely wonder if he could have been a late substitution in some of these games and changed losses into draws and draws into wins. And I'm really not joking. I know he's been retired now for a handful of years, but I truly wonder if you brought back Petr Cech, you brought back Ashley Cole in another, that's another area you struggle in. You brought back Didier Drogba to back up Tammy and you brought Frank Lampard in. Would you be a better team? And I know they're all retired now, but I truly think you would be. I really do. I'm not kidding. No, I, I honestly, I agree with you. And I joke about this with Mark on our group chat. It's it's sad, but it's actually true. And it, I can't even imagine how frustrating it must be for him, not only as a manager, but to, to see these guys not being able to put away a chance or, you know, I, f- I forget who it was against. It might have been the game against Arsenal when we had a counterattack. And I forget who, who had the ball. Was, I think it was William. And he breaks all the way up the field. And I think we were, t- I think it was 1-1 at this point or it was 1-0. And you just look, and there's nobody running into the box. I mean, people are jogging and stopping at the, you know, at midfield. And when you're a Lampard and you're that guy who scored 200, however many goals, and you just had that natural instinct for goal, I mean, I, it must be so frustrating for him. And like, like you said, he honestly could probably do a very good job if he had to come in for one game or maybe 45 minutes. It would be a, a decent shout. But I think before we wrap it up, Alex, uh, for people who don't know, uh, like I mentioned briefly in the beginning, you do have a podcast. Um, and for anyone who doesn't follow you on Twitter, they, they're definitely missing out. Even though, obviously, your your Chelsea account, mostly, there's still a lot of insight to be had. And I think, you know, from a, from if you're a neutral fan or you support another team, I, I do think that people like you are people you should be able to follow and you know, follow up an open mind to learn more about other teams and be more informed about other teams in the league. And like I mentioned, the podcast, if you want to just 
plug it a little bit and tell people about some guests you've had and some exciting stuff that, you know, you have planned for it. Uh, it could be worth it for someone who hasn't checked it out before to, you know, to sign up for the Patreon and then give it a listen. I appreciate that. Yeah. So in the quickest way I can say it, yeah, I'm definitely Chelsea centric, whether it's my Twitter page or podcast, it's Chelsea centric. That's my demographic. And if you're a Chelsea fan, I would hope you would certainly find the content worth it because I'll have on Chelsea Twitter accounts. I'll have on people who cover Chelsea, like journalists. I'll have on Chelsea players, Chelsea young players, parents of players. Really, I'll try and have on anybody that has anything to do with Chelsea with interesting, cool jobs. So I definitely try and have a wide variety there. But then, I mean, I feel like I do at least a few times a month have episodes out there that are for anybody, but especially any Premier League fan. So some of the guests I've had that have nothing specifically to do with Chelsea are like Martin Tyler, the announcer. I feel like everybody knows him. Peter Drury, who is another great announcer. The referee Howard Webb. In fact, on Thursday, I'm recording with the referee Mark Clattenburg. So once again, that's a episode that is not Chelsea specific. And yeah, just a bunch of different people. I'm going to start having trainers on that have worked in the business. Scouts had a scout or two on. I've had Michael Beal on, who used to be a Chelsea Academy coach, but now is the assistant coach at Rangers. So he's the assistant to Steven Gerrard. And he was really awesome to listen to. That was a little more Chelsea-centric, but also just kind of diving into the development of young players. So, I mean, I try and have everyone on Achievable. I really do. And I talked about it before, but, you know, I hate to bring in something so sad and tragic. But Kobe Bryant, obviously, rest in peace to him, his daughter, and everybody else on the plane. But I even said on my podcast the other day, like I, when I started the podcast, I had four tiers of types of guests I wanted to have on. I had first tier I knew I could have on. Second tier, I kind of had a feeling. I was pretty confident I could have them on. Third tier, yeah, those were some ambitious guests. And I've been lucky to have a good amount of those guys on. And then fourth tier were just the ultimate dream. Just people probably from like cross sports or just maybe just flat out celebrities who like the sport of football. And it doesn't have to be Chelsea. They could like like Kobe. He's, his team was AC Milan. So Kobe was certainly one of the people that I thought if my podcast could ever get big enough, maybe I could have him on and you would still have to go through literally hundreds of layers of people to even approach somebody like that. But I bring that up because that's just kind of where I want to go with the podcast. I want to have a little bit of everything for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Kobe Bryant, of course, like you said, rest in peace to him, to his daughter, everyone else involved in the crash and condolences to you know, to his family and all the families involved. It's, it's a tragedy beyond just, beyond just basketball, beyond just sports. He's, you can see how much of an icon he was during his lifetime. And now after the tragic events that happened this Sunday, just how much he meant to everyone. And you hear some of these stories about what sort of person he was. And it's just, it's devastating, man. And, uh, you know, as someone who grew up in, in the States for a lot of the years when he was, in his prime, just watching him play. It's just, he was that one guy. My favorite Kobe Bryant clip ever is that one video where someone's about to inbound the basketball and he's standing right in front of the guy. And the guy kind of fakes it towards Kobe's face from about an inch away. And Kobe does yeah. not flinch. Yeah, it was Matt and, Barnes. He uh, tried to scare yeah. Kobe. And yeah, exactly. Like you said, throw it in his face. And 
literally Kobe didn't move a muscle. And, and that, I mean, that just defines who he was. He was nails. I mean, he was clutch, but he was also tough as, I mean, he was as tough as, as anybody could be. I will talk about that he, of course, ruptured his Achilles, and that was kind of what speared the downward spiral in his career. But when he hurt his Achilles, he stayed in the game to shoot two free throws. And that is – and he could barely walk. I mean, and he hit them, by the way. And that is just the type of player he was. And that's not saying that if someone gets an Achilles injury like Callum or Ruben, they're, uh, you know, a bad word. I'm, I don't want to say the P-U-S-S-Y word, but I just spelled it out. doesn't mean they're yeah. that because they have to be carried off it's a really serious injury, but that's just who Kobe was. I mean, he was just as tough as possible. So yeah, I mean, I don't need to spiel on him anymore. Like I say, there are a lot better people to talk about Kobe more accurately who actually knew him, but certainly you can tell the impact he had because we live in the football Twitter world, Thomas, yet it was everywhere on football Twitter. So that speaks to Kobe. Absolutely. And I think it was the first time I've seen Twitter crash, not because of a technical issue, but because so many people were talking about, an right. event or a person that took place. And it's just such a tragedy, but you know, the memory will live on for everyone who watched him play and who, who was able to know him on a personal level. And I think, like you said, he's a great example as a father, but also as a player, the famous Mamba mentality, I think is something that can be applied to footballers, basketball players, and really just anyone oh, in really? any walk of life with whatever oh, yeah. you do. It's, it's a way of life. Like he said, and Again, rest in peace to to him and everyone involved in in the tragedy. But you know, I, I hate to end it on that sad note, but we we can't not mention what what happened, unfortunately. But Alex, it's been a pleasure as always to have you on. We great to talk some Chelsea, and I'm sure we'll have you on uh, towards the end of the season to to catch up and see how we ended up. And I'll be excited to to listen to the Mark Klanenberg interview as well as any upcoming stuff you have going on. Uh, it's like I said, it's it's a pleasure, and thank you again for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on and always good to chat with you. You're certainly one of the more level-headed Chelsea fans I speak to, so it's quite refreshing. <laughs> appreciate it. So everyone who listened to this, I hope you enjoyed it. It's uh, it's good to be back for us with the EIF podcast. It's been a while. We have some exciting guests lined up. Obviously, Alex, today we have uh, a surprise United guest uh, next. You can probably imagine who it is. He's quite the controversial man, but I'm sure it'll be an absolute delight uh, to have him on and then a lot of exciting guests coming up. So stay tuned for that. We're going to be back in full force of the podcast from now on and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And lastly, make sure to check us out on Twitter at EIF Soccer, Spotify, SoundCloud and iTunes at EIF Soccer as well for the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a good day. Bye-bye. I'm sick of playing it by the books. I think we should get a room. Yourself and your shoes ain't off the shelves. You straight out of magazine. Feel things I ain't ever felt.